If you would, Psalm 40, Psalm 40, verses 4 through 8, Psalm 40, if you would turn there, we'll read it, introduce it, and then we'll pray, ask God's help to understand His Word. So Psalm 40, if you would turn there, please. All right, if you're there, let's begin reading verse 4. David writes, How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts toward us, there is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Your law is within my heart. Question for this evening. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? Um... It's the season, tis the season for the Olympics, and winning makes people happy. Have you seen the, the winning that makes people happy? Yes. Sometimes even uh, big smiles, tears of joy, and then jumping. Um, happiness. Other things make other people ma- happy. Um, we can't all be Olympic winners. In fact, anybody here Olympic gold medal winners? No, sorry. But some of you are still happy, I think. I see smiles every once in a while. You're still happy. What makes you happy? They say, well, just a, a natural reaction of the supper or the dinner I had or, or this person or this thing or I'm not really happy, Stacy. That's not how I would characterize myself. What makes you happy? What is it to be blessed or favored or happy? It doesn't seem that it's people all over the world desire happiness. Have you ever thought that? You look at all of our uh, advertisements on TV and radio. They're selling a lifestyle. They're selling happiness. People want to be happy. And Christians are no different. We're susceptible to searching after happiness, looking for a greater and greater sense of blessedness or blessedness than we have right now. How is it that a follower of Christ accesses, accesses that sense of happiness. Sometimes we convince ourselves, unfortunately, that God doesn't care about us. I can't be happy. God doesn't care about me. He doesn't even care about what I think. And so we do religious things to make God happy with us. Ever been there? I'm going to do something religious, or I'm going to do something so God will be pleased with me. He'll be happy, and so he'll make me happy. I never quite works out the way we want it to be, to do. If you've ever been there, or maybe you're there now, God's Word has the answer for you, to be happy. Let's bow for prayer and ask God's help to understand. Gracious God, I thank you so much for the power of your Word. Simple, plain, profound, and able to satisfy the needs of our heart because it is indeed your word. So this evening, I pray, or today, help us to understand your word by the power of the Holy Spirit and fold your word to us and for us. And may we see who you are. May we find joy in you. 
which in Christ am I praying. Amen. A little background. The first part of the psalm is probably the most recognizable. Remember verse 1? Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to, into me, uh, to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. Remember that? That's probably the most uh, memorable verse of that. He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in uh, praise into my mouth. I praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. David the, is writing this for this choir director. He's writing this for that one who would teach it to the congregation, would teach it to the choirs of Israel, and they would learn patiently, attentively. David said, I waited for God. And this God who listened to me, he inclined my ears, he's turned his face toward me. He said, he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And God rescued. The deliverance of rescue we see from the pages here. We don't know exactly, was this during the time of Saul chasing David? We don't know exactly which time David is thinking of. But he's writing of a physical rescue that God has made for him. So here David is, remembering that, and he's remembering the song, the song of joy that God has put into his mouth because of the rescue, because of who God is and what God has done. So he says, God gave me a song. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise, even unto my God. It's not just a general song. It's a song of praise to God. Many will see it, the, the deliverance. We hear the song, and they'll rejoice, and we'll trust in the Lord. And now in, in our text, verse 4 elaborates on this idea in the end of verse 3, and will trust in the Lord. It's going to begin with this idea of trust. This idea of trust. Verse 4, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord, Yahweh, his trust, and who has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. So first of all, we see that we are to trust God. How blessed, this idea of happy, of favored, how blessed is this man who trusts in the Lord? And we see have the, the word there for Lord, Yahweh, which is the, the name that God gave uh, Israel of himself. This is the name that was important above all other names unto them. And so he says, blessed is the one who is trusting God. But look at the contrast. He says, so not the one, don't trust in the one who is proud. That's not the one you've trust, you are to trust in. The one who says, hey, I know where it's going. Look at me. I have the answer to all your problems. That's not the one you trust to in, as a human. You don't go to that person. You also don't go to the one that you know is lying. Hey, don't trust in the one in falsehood. And some of you are laughing because we're in this political season right now. And so people will tell you, trust me. Follow me. He says, trust. David says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And how easy it is to trust the one who is very sure and confident of himself or who who tells you good things that you know are lies, but, it, man, that, that person tells them so well. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. And it's odd that, that David would say, you're going to be happy. You're going to be favored if you trust in God. You have the blessing of God on your heart if you trust in God. How blessed is that one? Verse 5, notice I've highlighted for you the, the important words. How many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders that you have done and your thoughts toward us. There's none compared to you. If I would declare and to speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. So David here, if you're going to trust in God, understand 
to whom you're placing, on whom you're placing your trust. This one, O oh God, that has done great wonders. Now, only a God who is wonderful himself, who is magnificent himself, can do great wonders. Look at this in your thoughts toward us. This is not an, an impersonal God that says, I'm doing great things. See the sky, see the, the earth, the, the, the galaxies, but I'm not thinking about you. No. Your thoughts are wonderful toward us. So much so that there is none. There's no one, no God, nothing to be compared to you, O oh God. And really, if I had the time, it reminds me of the, of, uh, the Gospel of John. Many are the things that, that uh, John says that, that Christ did, but he couldn't contain. All, the book couldn't contain all of that. The scrolls couldn't contain all that Christ had done, all that Christ had said. And this is the idea here. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. I would lose count on that. And this is the God in which we place our trust. A wonderful God. A great God. And notice he says, my God. It's that, again, that personal aspect of the servant to the master and the master to the servant. He's my God. He is my master. And to reciprocate, reciprocate he, I am his servant. And there's responsibilities both ways. God takes care of his servants. We love our God, my God who's wonderful, who's great in grandeur, and great in everything that he does. So if this is a great God, this is a wonderful God, this is a God which we can't, can't really enumerate everything that he has done and who he is, what does God want? What exactly does this great God want from us who are following? But does God tell us? what he wants. Verse 6 takes a little different tact. He says in verse 6, sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. Wait a second. David, don't you remember the law, the ceremonial law? We got to sacrifice on certain days. You got to have the, the, for sin offerings, burnt offerings, uh, meal offerings, the Thanksgiving offerings, and, and these things and these things and, and all of these, all of the law. Don't you remember this? Why are you saying these offerings, these sacrifices is not what God wants? It's not what he desires. And, and David is speaking a bit of hyperbole. He's saying, in comparison to what God wants, this is not what he wants. Now, he's going to implement this. He's already implemented this. And he's going to use these things to teach us what God wants from us. And here's an interesting phrase here. My ears you have opened. The word really uh, means to, to hew or to almost to drill. So there's two, either it is a drilling of opening or it is a hewing as in a fashioning, a creating. And so those who are Hebrew scholars go back and forth on which is the right one. But you get the idea that either he's speaking of a God who has formed the ear or a God who has drilled and opened the ear. Now, this is important because we're going to see it in a few minutes. It says, my ears you have opened. And the connotation here in this Hebrew idiom is that because we hear, we obey. Says, God, you have caused my ears to open. You have caused this. So a sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. 
what is David talking about? Because you better not forget those sacrifices and sin offerings. And this time, you better have them. The, the temple was, in, uh, was going to be built by Solomon, but the sacrifice, sacrificial system was in place. Okay, if this is indeed a psalm of David, he's writing, it's in place, they're sacrificing. What do you mean, David? What do you mean that they're not required, desired? I mean, isn't that we, performing of these things to the God, the great God, Yahweh, isn't that what brings him pleasure? Does God gain pleasure in sacrifices and offerings? I mean, he, he instituted the law, so he, he enjoys the smell of the sweet-smelling savor, savor. Is that what it's saying? Did God institute all those things just to make himself happy because he likes to see things burn and he likes to see us give him things? See, sacrifices and offerings were part of God's plan to point to himself and the eventual sacrifice of Jesus. The sacrifice it would give were to call people to make them understand that they were sinful. Okay, There had to be a day of atonement. There had to be sacrifices made because we are sinful. So in that time, if you were in David's time, since Joshua, since Moses, you would sacrifice because of your sin. But he's saying, these are not what's desired. And so we think of that. We, we go from that point. Jesus obeyed fully what God had brought him to do. He sacrificed himself. He obeyed the will of the Father. But neither the sacrifices of the Old Testament and the offerings made them completely whole. They had to do it again and again and again. And so when Jesus came once for all, as Hebrew says, as Jesus came once for all, he made that sacrifice for all, and no more the blood and bulls of goats would be poured out. Jesus poured out his blood once for all. It wasn't that sacrifices weren't important to God, but in comparison to what he wants from the, the person who follows him, it's not as important. So he's not really fully explained what he's done here, what he's doing. So we get to verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Behold, I come. That's pretty interesting because we don't know of a scroll that we have extant today of speaking of David coming. I believe what the Holy Spirit is doing is prefiguring of another. He says, behold, I come. He's working through the, the writing of the psalmist to say, this one will come. Behold, I come. He's speaking of Jesus who would come. The ultimate fulfillment of this is Jesus. In fact, we see this uh, in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, we have a passage in 5 through 10 he, that the writer of Hebrews takes us back to this passage in Psalm 40 kind of unfolds it for us. So Jesus came. He's the one who says, Behold, I am coming. But David's writing this. So David is, is saying this, but Jesus is, is the type or figure here. Interesting, Spurgeon has a note on this portion. He says, Behold, I come. And he points out that here that Jesus didn't, didn't send someone. Him. God didn't send somebody else, but God came 
himself. Jesus came to earth. He came to secure redemption. So even in this psalm, we see the dissonance between the Old Testament sacrifices and the one sacrifice, which is Jesus, that would atone once for all. So Jesus satisfied every part. And just as Jesus, by his sacrifice, replaced the old sacrifices, his, his, he exhibited an obedience to the Father's will. And so you get to verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. So Jesus here is now, as, 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 the, as the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus coming, now here's the one who would delight to do the will of the Father's. Interesting thing, how God the Son, God fully God, God the Son, submitted himself to the will of the Father to go, to come to earth, to make himself a sacrifice. He says, behold, I come. But look at here, I delight. This here, look, this idea of delight is to, I want to do your will, oh my God. Your law is in my heart. And so you have this at, at once, both this of Jesus looking and wanting and desiring to do the will of the Father to go to the cross. And then you have the psalmist writing in his day, And he says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So we have this one who wants to do the will of God. Now look what God's saying. God doesn't want you to just go through the motions. That's religion. That's a religious, I'm just going to do those things. I'm going to do those sacrifices and offerings because it'll get me off the hook. And in our day, we have kind of the same things. I'm, I'm going to give you this, or I'll put my dollar on the offering plate. Is it okay? I'm going to do these things. I'll sing my songs. I'll, I'll play the organ. I'll sing the choir. I'll raise my hand. Or whatever it is that you, you worship, I'll do that because that gets me off the hook. I've satisfied God, right? I've done the sacrifices, offerings. I've, I've done those things. And God doesn't want that. God does, does God want worship? Yes, he desires worship. But does he want worship in that fashion? is just to, to fulfill a requirement. No joy, no grand vision of who God is and celebrating this God. No, it's just, I've, I've done this, I've checked off. But what does God want? He desires obedience. He says here, I delight to do your will, and that really trips us up. The will of God. Who has ever at some point or time wondered what the will of God for his or her life is? Really? Am I the only one? I say one hand. Okay, there we two. There we go. So what is the will of God? What is it that David's saying here? I delight to do your will. Depending on where you are in life, you desire to know the will of God. Well, let's start. First, there's a general will of God. Understand there's a will of God for every believer. The general will of God. And what is this? Well, simply, we could say whatever advances the glory of God and the kingdom of God. That's the general will of the believer, for the believer. Whatever I can do by God's grace to advance the glory of God, to call attention to the great God of who he is, to glorify him by how I live my life, how I am holy, how I obey, how I do everything to point to him, and then to advance his kingdom. Is that, you know, we, we talk about this a lot, reaching souls and building lives, that great commission. 
The general will of every believer is that we do this. We don't, there's not some who do it. Okay, pastors have to do that and other people do not. No, that's your general will. Every day as you walk through life, am I advancing the glory of God? Am I causing people to see that God is great? God is wonderful. God is glorious. Am I causing people to know who Jesus is, that Jesus has come to save them? Pretty simple. Hey, that's, that's not complicated, is it? And turn your head, this, shake your head this way. No, that's not really complicated, maybe in the execution of it. But to understand that, I think we can understand that God has for us a general will to glorify him and to tell others of the gospel. And that's the general will. What gets us is that specific will for me. What does God want me to do? You know what I found? If I delight to do the will of God, I encounter the specific will of God as I do the next right thing. I encounter the, the and I put specific in, the, in quotations, I encounter the specific will of God for me as I do the next right thing doing the general will of God. See, we think it's some mystery thing that God is going to unravel a scroll on a cloud someday or, or come with a, with a magical email and say, Stacy, do this tomorrow. Okay? I want you to get up at whatever time, go out your door and do this. It doesn't really work that way. Anybody got a, that magical email? But we encounter the specific will of God as we do the next right thing. As we are working for God, we're serving God. As we are saying, God, by, by how I live, I'm going to glorify you today. I don't care if anybody else sees it, but I, I'm going to glorify you. And I'm going to take an opportunity to tell other people that are around me. I'm going to pray for them. And God begins to show us exactly how he would like for us to live and what he would like for us to do. And sometimes it takes a bit of patience and the first thing we looked at, trust for the specific will of God in the next step. And it comes back to this is the God, this is the God that is great and mighty and powerful. I must trust him for the next step. And that is difficult. I'd rather have I'd rather have it in a, on a, five, a three by five card. Please, someone give me, God, what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes we wait. Ever been there? We wait for, oh, I'm going to wait for, I'm going to stay right here, sit here until the will of God comes to me. When we find the specific will of God as we are doing the general will of God. So, what is it that God wants? What is it that God wants? Is it a mystery? No. He wants us to trust. He wants us to obey. He wants us to delight to do God's will. I want to do your will, O God. You know, when it boils down to the Christian life, really isn't that complicated. It's not always easy, but it really isn't complicated. It really isn't too hard for us to understand. We make it that way. I am guilty of that. I make it that way. We, we, 
we're upset because we lack the blessing we feel we should have. I'm not as happy as I think I should be. Or I pursue the wrong person or the wrong thing in hope for happiness. Ever been there? If I just get this, then I'll be happy. If I just get this person to care for me, then I'll be happy. This person to respect me. This person to give me an advancement in my job, but then I'll be happy. All of these things. And when we do that, we forget the grandeur of God. We forget who God is. We forget that He is powerful and majestic, and His his works are so great. And then that starts the cycle of we think God has forgotten us. God's forgotten me. God's forgotten me. Verse 5. No. Your thoughts toward us. There's none to compare. God's forgotten me. And so then we try to do religious things to make us feel better. Let's do the sacrifice. Let's do the offerings. Let's do all these things. And then I'll be happy. And at the root of it, we do not want to do the will of God. We say, God, that's not right that you ask that of me. I want to live my life. The root of a lot of this is the rebellion in our own hearts and souls. I want to do what I want to do. So what is it? If God desires for us to trust him and to obey him and to delight to do his will, how is it that we live? He desires us to trust. Trust, that's hard. If God is sovereign, and he is, then he knows where you are. And unless you're there because of sin, he's allowed you to be right in that spot. It may be for you. Maybe he needs you right there. It may be for somebody else that he wants you there. But when we fail to trust God for where he's put us, we're saying, God, you're not grand, you're not glorious, I don't want to be here, so you're not really God to me at this moment. You're not as big as I want you to be because you've not put me where I want to be. And how backward is that? Trust. Trust. Well, sometimes we're there in circumstances because of somebody else's sin. And God understands where you are. And He's there to give you strength to live through those circumstances and to come through the other side. And as gently as I can say and firmly, though, you know, we need to stop wanting to be somewhere else and to be where God has us. Right? We can do this as a church. We want, we want this, we want that, we want the building. And God has us here, and when he is ready for a building, we're right there. That's a very simple thing. We can understand that intellectually. When it gets down to us and our lives, and I want to be somewhere else. And God said, there's still lessons I want you to learn right where you are. Trust me. Trust me. Well, not the God of all earth, of everything. Will he not do right? Trust me. Trust the God of wonders. Trust the God of majesty, of power, whose thoughts are toward his children. The God that loves you, because if you're a follower of of Christ, you are his. He has bought you, has redeemed you. He's preparing a home in heaven for you. You're his. He knows where you are, right there. 
has, he does think of you. He has not forgotten you. Trust the God that is beyond all compare. And if you're trusting him, then you're going to be obedient. You're going to want to do as well. You're going to want to do as well and say, hey, Lord, you have me. You have all of me. And then it becomes exciting. Have you ever woken up in the morning and say, hmm, I wonder who God's going to send my way today? This is going to be interesting. Instead of waking up, oh, another day. Who is God going to put with me? And I've got to warn you, they're not always going to be nice people. Okay? They're not always going to be pleasant people God puts, and sometimes they're believers and they're not pleasant. Yeah. You know, we can excuse unbelievers. Believers, come on. Help us out here. But sometimes people are going to be struggling their own things and they're going to... But God has you there for them. God has you there for them and for you. You know, I think this wanting of God's will is such a critical thing for us as believers. See, we have a desire innately to be happy. But we run from the very thing that makes us happy the very one who makes us happy. It's like this. It's like having uh, in your backyard Fort Knox, and you have the key to all the gold in Fort Knox, but you never put the key in the lock, you never open the door, but instead you go the, to 7-Eleven and you just play the scratch-off lottery in hopes that you get you know, like a quarter of Fort Knox, okay? It's like having all of that but wanting something else instead of who God is. To be happy... Is to trust God. To have God's favor on you is to trust Him. See, when it comes down to our God is everything to us. He is supreme. There is no other one from him but Him. He is grand and glorious in our lives, in our eyes, in our hearts. And we, we live each day for Him, to serve Him, to do His will. When it comes to that point, then we are truly happy. We not all we may not we may hurt. We may be in pain. We have God's favor and blessing upon us. Trust him. Delight in him. Want to do his will. As imperfectly as we, we do sometimes, desire to keep on doing his will, obey. We'll be blessed. Blessed is the one who trusts in God, who obeys God, who wants to do God's will. Delight in Him. Delight in doing His will. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by Your mercy and by Your power, Lord, I thank You for Your word this evening and how You've challenged my heart this week as I've studied to find all of my contentment in You. God, this is something that every believer struggles with at some point in time. So, God, I pray that as your word has magnified you, as we've seen who you are as a God that's beyond comparison, we who follow Jesus, we who have named the name of Christ, have been saved by the great redemption of the blood of Jesus. Lord, may we May we live for you. May we desire and want to do your will. 
Father, may we not just go through the motions. May we don't just phone it in, but Lord, help us to love you, to serve you, to be obedient, and to want what you want. To engage in the great and glorious work that you have for us every day. Not to wait to someday when we think we're better to, to then serve God, but right now in simple, trusting faith, may we follow you, may we bring glory to you. May we tell others of the great redemption of Jesus. Oh God, do a work in our hearts. May you consume us. May you captivate our every thought, every expectation. Father, may you be grand and glorious in our hearts. And may we go to the ends of the world to share our great God. May we praise you because you alone are worthy of our praise. Oh God, work on our hearts. Change us. May we be obedient as Jesus was obedient. In Christ, in my prayer. Amen.